I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players, and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, a Halloween edition of BSH Radio. We have a lot of, uh, well, we have a lot of scary stuff to get to tonight. It is going to be a very fun show uh, about our orange and black, not just Reese Cups, but the Flyers, the hockey team as well. So let's get right into it. Uh, i got to introduce you to my panel for the evening. First and foremost, my broadcast partner in crime, Spookalicious D, Steph Driver. How are you tonight, Steph? How did you just pronounce Reese's cups? How Reese's? how did how what? Reese's Reese's Reese's. 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 He's saying it. He's for saying for breakfast. It. We don't have time to get into this. <laughs> I Reese's like Reese the guy's apostrophe S. The guy's he was a hockey player. It's Reese. <laughs> I don't. Anyway, so. Wayne Simmons, I've come to, I've come on this show before. We had a whole hour about Wayne Simmons over the summer, about how it would probably make more sense to trade him because the contract he's going to demand is going to be really, really high and the Flyers probably won't be able to afford him. And by the time he's due for that contract, he will probably be in decline. I. I'm here to say that I have done a complete 180 on this one. Pay the man his money. He should be a flyer for life. Pay that man his money. Yes, Bill. Thank you. The way that I have gotten to that is right now, there's nobody else on the offense. There's no other forward that I consistently can rely on night in and night out to score a goal. If the Flyers are in a tough spot, there's nobody else that I can look at and say, you know what? It's going to be you. Like you're the one that's going to save this game. I could make a case for Sean Couturier being that guy this season because hot damn, what has he become? Uh, And I think historically it has been Claude Giroux, but this year, this year it's the year of Wayne Simmons and pay the man his money. From theathletic.com, Charlie Boo Connor. Uh, that, that's beautiful, Bill. <laughs> really beautiful. Uh, so I'm going to jump into a topic that I think has been bothering a lot of Flyers fans over the last week. And they have a real case as to why they should be bothered. And it's the officiating. Over the past, really over most of the season, but 
the past week or so, it's really kicked into high gear with some calls going against the Flyers. And my problem with the officiating is, is this. It's the complete lack of philosophical consistency from game to game. Because obviously referees are going to make mistakes. Sometimes things break your way. Sometimes they don't. But what infuriates me is when referees make a call and then they don't stick to that either through the rest of the game or from game to game. Perfect example being overtime on Monday night. So overtime gets kicked off. Jake Voracek takes a penalty. It was, it, was it a penalty? Yeah, probably was. So usually at overtime, they let stuff go because they don't want to see the game get, get you know hampered by penalties. But okay, you called it. That's fine. Flyers kill it off. Then with a minute left in the overtime, Wayne Simmons gets clearly interfered with. And they don't call it. If you hadn't called the first penalty, you would have had no problem with you letting the, the, the Simmons one go. But you can't call one penalty and then be like, nah, now it's too late in the overtime, so we're not going to call a new one. Once you've established that you're going to call a penalty, then you have to call a penalty on the other team as well. And that's not happening. And then another example was the ridiculous, obviously the Couturier non-goal frustrated the hell out of everyone. But you could make a case that, okay, well, maybe the result was bad, but technically continuous goal was the right call, even if the call, even if the rule is ridiculous. But then you have a call like the Voracek high stick on Monday night where Voracek doesn't get called for a penalty. Then during a commercial break, the referees change their mind and give him the call. Now, that's an example of them getting the right call by kind of bending the rules a little bit, which, again, would be fine if they were willing to do the same for the Flyers to get the right call on the Couturier goal a couple games ago. That's my issue. No consistency. So, Charlie, let me get this straight. You, you, as an analytics guy, a man who deals in facts and reason, is saying there's a clear bias against the Flyers. I am not saying there's a clear bias against the Flyers. What I'm saying is that the referee's incompetency is specifically hurting the Flyers in this moment. You heard it here first, folks. Pete Morelli is actually betting on NHL games as well and trying to screw (laughs) all of Philadelphia. Is well, this true? I mean, it only makes sense. <laughs> last <laughs> last but not least, the fly by herself, Helly Kinkle. Okay, that was that was good. I liked it. Um, <laughs> so to piggyback on what Charlie said, um, what's been frustrating for me is that like I'm all about blaming refs for flyers' misfortunes, particularly when they've earned the blame, but it's been league wide for the entire season. The calls are just terrible, like missed calls, bad calls. And it's strange to me that there's been this focus on ticky tack things like face off violations that they seem to be calling left and right, but we are missing headshots all over the place. And I don't understand what's going on. It's, it's, I mean, NHL officiating has never been great, but this year seems really, really bad. Yeah, and it feels like, I mean, like you said, the the face-off violations and then the slashing, that everything is a slashing, it's it's insane, the things that they're not calling, and they're not calling it throughout the league. That's I was cool with the slashing crackdown, but they still, like, seem to, because there's no room to let, like, referees just use judgment and say, hey, this is what makes sense. Like, every stick check, 
is a slash. It's not like, okay, it's on the hands, it's on the wrists, it's on the pants, it's a slash. And if it's on the stick, it's stick on stick. Why is that a penalty? No, it's, it, it just is. And I, I, I don't understand it. Yeah, it's a, it's a very NHL thing to have like a good idea. Like, hey, we should cut down on slashing because it's not good for the game and it doesn't bring anything. And then just completely screw up cracking down on slashing. Uh, my, uh, I am Bill Matz, and I am your director of horror and terror for the evening. Uh, I was on board uh, with this getting rid of enforcers thing. Anyone who's been listening to my commentary for a while knows that I love the fights. My favorite player uh, of all time is Frank the Animal Bialois. It's how I initially got into hockey. I was into the violence of the sport. Uh, but I get that they want to make the sport, you know, more skilled. And when you look at things, fighting is probably bad for the human brain. So if you want to cut it out a bit, you know, tone it down, uh... All right, I will accept that. But it meant that the NHL was going to take player safety seriously, and the league, rather than the players, vigilante style, uh, would dole out punishment for dirty play. And then Saturday night, Leo Komarov uh, trails Shane Gostisbehere into the boards, has his numbers the entire way, pushes him directly into the boards head first, and there's no call. And then after the game, there's no fine, no suspension, no supplementary discipline whatsoever. So the Flyers lose one of their most dynamic players for a length of time. Who knows? It's probably a concussion the way he went into the board's head first. And the Leafs lose absolutely nothing. And now if I'm Ron Hextall, Tyrell Goborn is playing December 12th versus Toronto. And if Austin Matthews gets sucker punched, well then whoops. Should have protected the players when you had a chance because that was your chance and you missed it. So a couple things. Um, the first is that it doesn't seem like it's a concussion with Ghost due to the fact that he's not on IR. That doesn't mean that it's not. It's That does not mean that it is not a concussion, but Nolan Patrick, who is having concussion symptoms, is on IR and Ghost is not. Um, Next, Tyrell Goldborn is not the player that you want to be fighting Austin Matthews. Sure Number one, what was that? Sure it is. If he gets no. suspended forever, I don't care. Tyrell Goldborn is not that big. I don't need so him to he, be big. I need him to drop his gloves when Matthews isn't looking and knock him out. <laughs> okay, but I'm saying Austin Matthews is bigger than Tyrell Goldborn and... If he decides to swing fists, it probably would not go the way that you want it to. Now, number one, I do not support the beating up of Austin Matthews. Any face punching in the direction of my large adult son is is frowned upon from this establishment. Take it but up number the two, if it's going to be someone and you want to send a message to somebody on the Leafs, it should be someone large. Someone like a Radko Gudis or a Sam Moran. But those are all guys I want playing. I want something dirty that's suspension worthy to happen, just as happened to Ghost. And I don't want to lose a player of consequence. Yeah, but Uncle Leo is not a dirty player. I don't care. It was a dirty play. Well, now and now it was a dirty play and it was it, it was. It was egregious. It was an egregious non-call by the refs, which means that now, even after this dirty play, they're not going to be able to go back in the, the, the history of all of the plays that he's ever made because there is no 
history of illegal plays from Leo Komarov because they decided that it was not worth review, it was not worth suspension, and it was not worth fines. So to say that he's not a dirty player, that doesn't mean that it's never happened before. It just means the NHL has just thrown up its hands and been like, okay, well, no, we don't need to. We don't need to look at this. Yeah, I just... uh... Ahead, I just Jordan. like I, I just like to make the point that this is an example of why the Leafs are actually bad. <laughs> yeah, that that's right. Any opportunity from this guy. All right, so I want to uh, I want to I want to move on and for a second talk about Monday's game, last night's game, and it's just one thing that happened uh, that I want I want to make a comment on. Uh, Mark Alt, Mark freaking Alt. <laughs> I didn't yep. even know he was a real guy. I thought so he was. I thought he was one of, of those shit. randomly generated names, like in video games. <laughs> the, the amount of shit that I gave to Kelly and the entire internet universe for using the name Mark Alt was like really, really high. Like, just it, it was voluminous. The amount of shit there that I a, gave. There was a little everybody. bit of shit thrown my way. That's what okay. is the matter with Sam Moran? I had tickets to uh, Monday night's game, and I was just excited. I was going to go see my boy Sam Moran play, maybe mix it up with Zach Ronaldo. That would be a fun little bout. Uh, but no, it wasn't the B. We got to see Mark Alt. Mark Alt, who has played one career game three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what is wrong with Sam Moran that he couldn't suit up? Does anyone know? So it was it was an, a lingering injury. So apparently he got hurt and didn't say anything, probably because... Lehigh Valley has the entire week off. So it was probably just a little something that he tweaked. We don't actually know. Charlie, do we know? So um, Hexel had availability today, and he said it, there's been a lot of weird signals coming from the Flyers organization regarding injuries where they act like something's not a big deal and then they end up sitting out for weeks. Um, so, like, he basically said with regards to Moran that, oh, he's a little nicked up, but. It's not days. He might miss like a week or two. It's like, okay, well, if he's going to miss a week or two, he's not just a little nicked up. He's like actually injured. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it seems like he's actually injured and he's going to miss some, you know, even though the, the Phantoms don't play again until Friday, he's going to miss some time. And that's why they called up. Uh, they not only kept Alt, who's going to go on this trip. They called up Will O'Neill uh, for this road trip. Basically, what I assume is to function as like Will a seventh O'Neal. defense on the road. So yeah, Moran. It's- I know who <laughs> even is Will O'Neill. <laughs> you don't think he's real kelly guy some guy <laughs> he's just another computer generated name he's just like <laughs> no one knows ahl games aren't on television it's just like something happened and they didn't catch someone's number so they're like oh it was uh will o'neill <laughs> and and it's not o'neill like o-n-e-i-l there are two l's in that last name which i have never seen before kelly tells me that it's normal and i respond to that with fucking canadians but uh, charlie's Ma- irish he knows o'neill is two l's right charles it, it these are be, your people it could be spelled either way i uh i'm charlie i was reading from your observations today something i wanted to get into and it's uh it's a what are you doing dave haxtell kind of thing Ooh. uh i just want to read this and then get you guys opinion on it so uh this is from charlie's observations on the athletic Mark Alt, a surprise recall who only played because Samuel Moran was dealing with a nagging injury, was not sheltered in usage at all. Instead, Alt received a healthy 16.53 at 5-on-5, was on the ice for the same number of offensive zone draws as defensive zone ones, seven apiece, and basically received an even distribution of matchups across the Arizona lines. Now, this is me again. 
Uh, I'm not evaluating Alt or comparing him, comparing his play. I don't want to talk about his game or anything right now. I just want to discuss the decision making. This seems like such a Dave Hackstall thing. Like almost, un- it's so Hackstall, it's unHackstall. Because <laughs> prior to last night, Alt played one game in the NHL. It was March 28th, 2015. He had nine minutes and 25 seconds of time on ice and was a minus one. I don't think Moran is hurt. I just think the coach is fucking with us. So he's hurt. He's definitely yeah, hurt. So when Stephanie and I were having our little Twitter back and forth about Mark Alt, she asked me to explain, well, me and the rest of the Twitter universe, to explain why it would be Mark Alt. And my answer to her was because it's the most hackstall thing right. to do. So like all I wanted, all I wanted was <laughs> for one reason, or actually I think I asked, I asked for three. I think I asked Jake for three reasons why people want or why people are saying this guy's name other than lol flyers like yep. that was all i was getting other than, like like he does not have good hockey sense like that is something that has been proven routinely every single year that he's been pro with this team and he's been with the phantoms both in adirondack and lehigh valley like he just does not think the game at an nhl level so, so, like, yes, he's got size. I guess he's fast, but he's just not mentally quick enough to play at the NHL level. So I just didn't understand why people were saying his name. So the reason why, for me, why I instantly thought, and I think I actually said it Saturday night during our watch party when Ghost went down, I was like, oh, cool, we're going to get Moran. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, no, no, it's going to be Mark Alt. And the reason... <laughs> that I instantly thought that is because if I'm Dave Hackstall, which thankfully I'm not a crazy person. So, but allow, I allowed myself to think like a crazy person. And this is a guy who's been with the organization for a long time. So we've got that loyal soldier thing that we know hockey coaches love a lot. He is a veteran presence as far as professional hockey playing goes. Um, and he's having a relatively good season with the Phantoms. I think he's been one of the Phantoms best defensemen this season. And you know they love to reward a little bit of a good performance. So in my mind, if I'm an idiot hockey person who can't think past like this far in front of my face, um, I'm thinking, hey, here's a guy who's going to be solid in all three zones. He'll be nice and dependable. I don't have to worry about him making rookie mistakes. We'll just call it Mark Alt and everything will be fine. So so I don't... I, I like wholly reject the idea that he's not... A rookie, I, I like wholly reject the idea that he's a veteran. He played one NHL game. I, like, I, I understand time, what you're saying, yeah, but I, I wholly reject it. I understand yeah, your feelings. I don't agree with just, any of it. Yeah. I don't agree with any of the things I just said. I'm just thinking that's the thought process that I assumed the organization was going to go through when they decided who they were going to call it. Because he's 26 years old and has been with the Phantoms, I think since they won the Calder Cup in 1998. Um, <laughs> Okay, can I uh, go ahead, Charlie? Yeah, I want to jump in here because I actually don't like agree with any of this. It, in in the sense that I don't really understand why everybody was so up in arms about like why did Mark Alt get the call? Like there literally was no one else to call. Like that's the thing. So they called up Moran, he got hurt. Okay. TJ Brennan would have been the logical guy to call up instead, but he's hurt. So it came down to okay, well, do you want to call up Myers or Friedman? 
And Friedman, from what I've heard, has not looked all that great in the AHL. So he yet. So I'm, I'm still high on the kid, but he's it's in his first AHL year. It's going to take him some time. Certainly, I don't want him to come up to the NHL if he's not mastered the NA. Come up to the NHL if he hasn't mastered the AHL. So the real question was, okay, are we going to call up Phil Myers or are we going to call up one of the veterans in Alt or Will O'Neill? And like, I can understand why fans would want Myers to come up, but like. I understand also why the Flyers organization would say, yeah, he might be better as a player than Alt or Will O'Neill, but it may not be the best thing for his development to throw him up in the NHL for one game at age 20. So I guess I, yeah, I would ideally not want Mark Alt or Will O'Neill in the lineup, but it's not like they could just conjure a better defenseman out of nowhere. Unfortunately, Moran was hurt and Brennan were hurt, and they're the two better defensemen they had in the Phantoms organization. Poor TJ Brennan. <laughs> he just can't get a break. He just, he, he's a, I can't I can't get started on TJ Brennan. I, <laughs> I already did. I already did my Mark Alt thing. I can't get started on TJ Brennan. But Dan Dan Kelly, who is a contributor to the show, even though he's not on it and he doesn't get any credit for any of his thoughts that come out of my mouth, <laughs> had a tweet today that I'm just going to read because I think it's perfect for the situation. Opening night. The Philadelphia defense is so deep, they can't keep all the rookies on the team. November 1st, Provorov paired with Lou Nolan's nephew, Bert. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually funny. It is, and I hate when he's funny. Fucking Dan. Like, it's so true. Everyone has gone down so quickly that there wasn't anybody else but Mark Alt. And now Will O'Neill. Like, that's it. I'm pretty glad this is happening in October and not, like... March. Like, yeah. what it, I, I always have this issue. Like, I get Charlie is just saying what the company line is because that is the Flyers line of thinking. But, like, would it really hurt the guy's development? Phil, I'm talking about Phil Myers now to play one game no. in the NHL. No. And I fully reject the idea that you hurt a player's development by bringing them up to the NHL. You're either an NHL talent or you're not. You might struggle a bit if you come to the NHL too early, but you're not going to ruin a player by bringing him up, especially for just a couple of games to see what happens. So I don't, I don't think worst case scenario, he's garbage. So I don't think you'd ruin a player, but I do believe that the Flyers want to use call ups as like sort of a, hey, kid, you earned this, you made it. And I think their view of Phil Myers is that even though he's played well in the early season, and he has, he absolutely has played well in the early season in the AHL. They don't believe he's earned it yet. And therefore, they don't, because they want that call up to be like a big deal for him and him to truly feel like he's ready for the next level, they don't want to just use him as a one game stopgap. That, that's what I believe is going on here. Yeah, I get it. I just feel like, I don't like, I feel like it would help to bring him up at, like long term and say, like, hey man, this is what that speed everyone's talking about really looks like. Maybe. And if he's the best player, like, it's one game. It's one game. You send them right back down. But it's not how they do things. I just have an issue with it. So uh, I, I want to I read off a couple of names here as we move on. Um, I want to read off the NHL goal-scoring leaders. Uh, it is October 31st, so it is for the first month of the season-ish. Uh, Kusharov leads the way with 13. John Tavares has 11. Alex Ovechkin, 10. Austin Matthews, nine. Sean Couturier, nine. What's that now? Sean Couturier, the guy who can't finish, nine. 
Hot he's tied, tied for fourth in the league in goal scoring, two goals last night, and uh, one of them was on the power play. Is that his first power play goal ever? I think it might Kurt, be. It might be. I, I think Kurt actually <laughs> did a post on this today that it was his first power play goal in like literally, I think it was like 82 games. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, and he's, man, he's been on the power like, play. Like, it's not like he got taken off the power play entirely. He was on the second unit and just could not score goals. So that's we talked about we've been talking about the one hole the one true hole that we see in Couturier's game is like yeah he's just not a power play player he's not good at it well they rewarded him with first power play time and uh he scores last night on the only power play opportunity they have and then in the six on five with the net empty scores again in the same spot that's incredible he is uh turning it around this season and I don't know if it's just the line or if it's i don't know something else maybe he's just finally coming into it but it's awesome i'm really psyched about it it makes me happy because i've loved katuri forever and i always got super annoyed that people just were just judging him on the fact that he doesn't score a lot of goals because he brought so much more to the table but now that the goals are coming everyone can shut the fuck up about sean katuri not being good because he's actually good give him like two games that he doesn't score any goals oh, and God. people will be right back on his case. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you're probably right. And it doesn't have to be any more than two games. It could be two games in a, in a four-game week and they don't even have to be consecutive and people will be right back on it. <laughs> I, I think Charlie, one thing is the... Uh, sorry, go ahead, Bill. No, I just want to... Is the, uh, the shake-up to the first power play unit permanent with Phil Pula coming off? We didn't get a shot to uh, really see what the second unit looked like last night. Uh, I assume Phil Pula just got bumped down to there. Do we do we have any idea about that? So I actually asked Katura after the game if this was just a one-off thing or if this was permanent, and he said no. He's on the he's on the first power play unit. He's going to keep working to get better. You you saw a hint of this on Saturday in Toronto because Katura got time on the first power play unit. Then Phil Pula was on the second unit. Phil Pula actually scored on the second unit. But right, right, right. I had thought it was just because Phil Pula had a long shift right prior to the start of the power play. I figured they just, you know, Haxtell looked at Phil Bula, decided he was gassed, threw Couturier out there, and then put Phil Bula back out there in Couturier's spot on power play too. But, you know, whether... It's hard to say whether this was an example of, like, that actually was what happened, and Haxtell liked what he saw from Couturier on that one shift and was like, yeah, let's give this a shot, or if it was actually planned going into Saturday's game, because that was the only power play the Flyers had in that game. Regardless... Last night, it was planned. Last night, Couturier came into that game knowing that he was going to be playing on power play one. And I asked Haxtell about it today, and he confirmed that it's a, you know, it's a move. It's a, it wasn't just a random thing. It's something they thought about and something they, you know, they like Couturier there because they, and he specifically said, it's be, one of the big reasons is they think Couturier has a better shot than Phil Pula. And I mean, I 100% agree there. Okay. But. Oh, for sure. You know, it was, it was fun to watch Couturier rip that shot, you know, past, um, Pass. Who did who did Arizona even have playing goal last night? It's so pathetic they lost that game. Some Wedgwood. guy, Wedgwood, some guy named Wedgwood. Yeah, Wedgwood. Wedgwood. But like, yeah, that was a goal. Like Phil Bull has scored a couple goals this season on the power play, but they've been kind of you know there was one from a pass from Drew from behind the net. It was a little, they weren't your normal slot power play goals. That was like a Braden Shen Scott no, that- Hartnell one timer from the slot goal from Sean Couturier, and that was that was neat. As much as we give, uh, and again, this this show, for as long as we've been doing it, it's been about 50% dedicated to giving the head coach a, a rash of shit. Um, <laughs> he has pushed 
all the right buttons with Sean Couturier this year. Um, I got to give him credit for that, and I got to give him credit for what I see on that top line right now. Uh, points totals, Voracek has 16, Couturier 15, Giroux 14. They're all top 15 in scoring right now. I've actually yeah, chosen... No, he's, he's done this really well. Yeah, I've actually chosen to believe that uh, Chris Knobloch suggested that Claude Giroux move to the wing and Couturier center those two, and that's why it's working so well. <laughs> My yes. head coach. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is actually turning into, uh, you know, as, as uh, sort of Toronto fans, I think Kelly and Steph can speak to this, but how whenever the Maple Leafs make a dumb move, it's, um, it's Lou Lamorello's fault. And whenever they, and oh, then whenever they make a time. smart move, it's all on Kyle Dubas. Like, oh, well, that was Dubas who made that decision. And then when they do something dumb, it's like, yeah, exactly. Lou, you're an idiot. So it's, for the Flyers, it's going to be like, well, when they make a good coaching decision, it's all Knobloch. And then when it's dumb, it's like, oh, I hate Hackstall. I mean, well, it makes a lot of sense, Charles. You can't argue with that logic. I would nope. like to say Toronto is, is turning on Babcock. So if we need a new coach, keep an eye on what they're doing up there. <laughs> Knobloch is the power play guy so I guess it is it's feasible at least that he made this switch and saw something in Sean Couturier that a lot of us you know for for a while have said he can't do and that's produce on the power play but so far so good in that in that uh in that realm since he's been bumped up to number one uh so the Flyers are I believe six five and one now so yes. they're basically five hundred. Yeah. Uh, they're in the second wild card spot behind Pittsburgh as of this very moment. We've we've had a lot of good and we've had some things that I don't know. I've chosen to kind of overlook or I've just said they've got they'll get it together. I'm just waiting on some things. But other than Giroux, Voracek, Couturier and Ghost, have you seen anything that's like tangibly encouraging so far this season? I'll name two players for you that you did not mention. Okay. Number one, Travis Konechny, who is playing like someone literally put his ass on fire and just didn't put it out. Number two, Ivan Provorov. Like, the man is incredible. I, I believe I called him Jesus last night because <laughs> of the way that he kept the puck in to, to bring the game to overtime, not once, not twice, but three times. Ivan Provorov is Jesus, and... And it looked like he was he was going down with an injury during overtime last night, and I don't know what this team would do without Ivan Provorov. I have no uh, idea what they would do. I'm pretty yeah, happy with Jordan Wheel. I think he's been solid. Yeah, he hasn't been as good since um, he's come back from the injury, but I was really happy with yeah. his play before the injury. Yeah, Bill, I don't know. I, I think... There are, there are a fair amount of players I've been disappointed with, but there's been a good amount of players I've liked. Like, for some reason, you didn't mention the entire fourth line, which has been yeah. The honeybees? Uh, I refuse to mention them as long as they go by the honeybees. And like, <laughs> yes, they, they have been a very good fourth line, but if I'm talking about things that are, like, encouraging on the whole, the guys who play 10 minutes a game don't really register for me. Like, it's good that they have them, but I'm more concerned with the lack of production from the two lines in front of them. The, the, the two lines in front of them are, are a whole different issue, I think. Um, but I think that the, the fourth line is playing more than 10 minutes a night. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Charlie's nodding at me, so I'm just going to keep rolling with it. Um, <laughs> I, but I think that there is something to be encouraged by 
if nothing else, and if you just want to write them off as the fourth line, that's fine. But I think that what we've seen is that Scott Lawton is absolutely an NHL player. And that was a question mark going into this season. And I think that we've seen that Taylor Lear is also absolutely an NHL player. And that was a big question mark going into this season that we didn't even think we were going to get answered. But looking at those two, that's definitely something that is encouraging and something that we can build on. Am I on a delay or did Charlie continue to nod when you said uh, Taylor Lear is an NHL player? He did. We're turning him around on Taylor Lear. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's been good. I, I'm, I'm never going to be someone who's going to deny when the facts are in front of me. Like, I'm still not like ultra, ultra high on him, but I he, he's clearly holding his own in the NHL this year and is part of an effective line. So he's not bad at the very least. And there are bright spots in the middle six. I mean, Wayne Simmons, hello. Mm-hmm. I, I've been impressed. Like, I've been impressed with Philpola. Truthfully, like I was, exp- I was, I yeah. was worried that Philpola was going to be like an advanced stat nightmare. And he's been generally speaking good by the numbers so far this year. I didn't want him on that top power play unit, but he was passable there. And now he's not on that unit anymore. So, and uh, Steph mentioned Provorov. Provorov has eight points in 12 games. Like that, that's pretty darn good for a defenseman. And I want to bring up Provorov now because he's got the eight points in 12 games, which is a great number for a defenseman. Uh, but he had three assists on Monday alone. He's got a goal and four assists in the four games since the McDonald injury. Uh oh. Have we noticed anything different about his game since he's playing without McDonald? Uh, and is the Provorov Sanheim pairing going to stick now that they've seemed to uh, give that another try? I mean, he definitely seems to be skating a bit freer without that anchor tied around his waist, which is nice. <laughs> I think they're going to use the Provorov Sandheim pairing. And I, I actually asked Hacks all this today, and he kind of evaded the question. But uh, I think they're going to use the Provorov Sandheim pairing like when they're losing, because okay. I think they mm. understandably are a little bit concerned about giving Sandheim top pair minutes at this stage of his career and getting tough matchups. But like when you're down one or two goals, why not stack your top pair with, you know, mate, truthfully, and this is not even a slight against Ghost, like, Grubrov and Sandheim really might be the, the two most physically gifted defensemen on that blue line. And again, like, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I love Ghost, but like, Grubrov's a freak and Sandheim's a freak too. Yeah, Sandheim might end up being six foot four Ghost, you know, like, it's just, it's just kind of the way it is. He's a, he, he's an, he's a phenomenal athlete. He was a first round pick. Like you see all the tools and when he makes some plays, you go, Oh my God, that's what I've been waiting for. Uh, I'm waiting for his game to come around overall, but absolutely encouraged. But I would, what I've seen so far, I want to just stick with that pairing, but I get why they're not going to, because you know, you don't put a rookie in those kind of minutes, I guess. I mean, they did last year with Provorov, but he's the special he's, case. Yeah. Very he's, our, he's our wonder child. <laughs> Has, have you been impressed with Wayne Simmons so far? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it looks like it looks like he's still playing hurt. I, yeah. I, I think that he was out for he was out for a game or he was going to be out for a game. There was something that happened. He hasn't and, missed a game, but he he's been back. banged up. He's definitely been banged up. He missed a game? No, he hasn't, but he, he hasn't. But he's been oh, banged well, up. Well, he probably should have yeah, that's, because... That's very true. <laughs> you, it, it, he just looks like there's something in the lower body that just isn't quite right, and I have no idea what it is. Yeah, the last um, couple of games, he looks like he's lost a step, for sure. Yeah, so maybe... 
they've got four games in five nights this week, six nights. But next week they've got, I don't think they have another game between Saturday and Thursday. So maybe that will be helpful for Wayne Simmons just to get off whatever joint it is that's bothering him. Or get on the joint. Hey, that too. It's a bull, Charlie, it's a you, uh, you have some, you, uh, you have something here. Uh, you want to talk about some rookie defensemen? You read a, a Bill Meltzer column today. You wanted to comment yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. Bill, that was uh, a really good column. Bill wrote a really, really, really good, good column today. Uh, basically breaking out a lot of things. Uh, but one of the main things he highlighted was uh, there seems to be a subsection of the fan base that is getting very frustrated with Travis Sanheim. I noticed this actually in my comment section of my athletic article. Someone was being very, very angry about the fact that I did not like specifically rip Travis Sanheim for messing up on the goal that ended up ending the game in overtime. Um, and we got into a big, big back and forth. That was fun. But basically what Bill was saying was that uh, he's noticing people getting super frustrated with Sanheim because he's making mistakes and how Bill doesn't think that's quite fair because rookies are generally speaking going to make mistakes. But the interesting thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is, if I have time this week, and there are a lot of games, so I'm not sure if I'll have time to dive into it, but I think there's an interesting comparison we made here between Sanheim and, and Robert Haig, obviously the other major rookie. Uh, because I think, generally speaking, most people are super high on Robert Haig this year um, because he's not making the same obvious mistakes that Sanheim is. And what's interesting to me about the two, if you compare them, is that Travis Sanheim is driven play at five on five dramatically better than Robert Haig has. The main difference between the two is that the Flyers have scored 80% of the goals at five on five with Haig on the ace and just 28.57% with Sandheim. So the question I throw to you guys is how much of Sandheim's poor goal base, because I think Sandheim is like negative, like minus seven by traditional plus minus and, and Haig is like plus six. Like how much of Sandheim's issues are bad luck? How much are, and or you know and then on the Hague side, I think how much of his strengths are good luck, and how much of is it that like there's something that Hague is doing that the numbers just aren't picking up? Because if you look at the like Corsi and expected goals, like Hague is not performing well by these numbers. All right, I'm, ahead, I'm here for this. This oh, is I'm so I'm, ready. I am digging Steph's into face. the look on Steph's face while Charlie was talking was pure anticipation. If you can well, see because me right Charlie, now, earlier this week, he slandered my Swedish muffin, and I am not here for this. So I reached out to multiple stats people. Whoever is eating something with a wrapper, put it away. Um, yes, you, William. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I reached out to multiple stats people because I needed help really analyzing the question that I had was how do you measure defense? And that's something that I have always had a problem with. And I think that it, it is a general complicated predicament within the stats community. How do you measure defense? So obviously you can measure shots. You can measure, measure zone entries and exits, and you can measure um, possession, but what, does what out of that actually equals defense and it's something that i needed i needed to reach outside of my my own brain and, and outside of charlie's brain because i wanted to confront him with what i've discovered <laughs> i wanted to own charlie um so i i reached out to a few people and i had a really great conversation today with 
Prashanth Iyer. If you don't follow him, you should because he's amazing. Um, and what we determined was that Robert Haig, by the numbers, is not specifically good at anything that is measured in stats right now or is not good specifically at anything that is measured in stats right now and predicted to be good at. So his his expected goals for is really low. Um, let me see what that number actually is. So it's 1.76 out of 1.79 out of 60 minutes. But his actual goals for per 60 is 3.89. Like that's what's actually happened and that's really high. So what that's telling us is that he's scoring on, and this is what has been told to me, he's scoring on low quality chances and we shouldn't expect that to continue. Or there are events happening on the ice that end in, in whatever. Someone is scoring on low quality chances and we shouldn't expect that to continue. Um, but that's what's actually happening is what we should be looking at because we don't know how accurate this model is for predicting the future. Um, and we also only have a 12-game sample size. The AHL doesn't really collect this data, so we don't know what he's done historically in the AHL. We don't really know what to expect. So we only got 12 games. Um, the other things that we can look at are who he's been playing with. And he's been playing with Shane Gossespierre. So if we're looking at other, other stats, such as um, leaving the zone with possession, his numbers are not great there. They're just not good. But you look at Shane Gossespierre's, and they're phenomenal. Because who's actually going to carry the puck out of the zone on that pairing? It's going to be Ghost. So I, I think that there's two things at play here with Robert Haig and his stats that he's playing with ghost who excels in many, many areas that are quantifiable. And Robert Haig is probably just letting ghost do his thing. And then the next is the small sample size. So let's say by Thanksgiving, well, we should reassess. I, I think that's but totally, right yeah. now, right now. And, and also his time away from ghost will be really telling who knows, yeah. who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> for the next few games, because I think the whole team is suffering without him. Um, but I, there are definitely reasons to be hopeful and we still don't really know how to measure defense. So maybe the piece that's missing out of the numbers is the magical defense. That's uh, intangibles. <laughs> no, intangibles. but to piggyback off Steph's point, um, Sanheim is good at the thing that I believe is most important to playing defense, and that's breaking the puck out. I think being able to break the puck out of your zone is the most important thing. And then when you look at the Corsi relative numbers there, Charlie has him at plus uh, like almost a plus five uh, compared to his teammates. That's pretty damn good. Um and I think that shows there the plus minus numbers, the 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 hard plus minus numbers are usually just luck and different things. And he, you know, isn't great in defensive zone coverage, while Robert Haig is a good guy in the defensive zone. 
So you're seeing, okay, he's not making those mistakes, but he's in the zone a lot. When you look at his uh, Corsi 4 percentage at 45, Charlie has it at, you know, that's low. It's well below 50. So he's in the zone, and you're seeing him make plays on that end, while Sanheim not in his own defensive zone as much. But when when a goal happens, you go, oh, there was Sanheim, of course. And it's just, it's almost that Braden Coburn syndrome. Like, you just circle him when a goal goes in and go, oh, look, it was him but uh, sure they're going to be and they're both going to have their strengths and weaknesses especially again it's we're six games into or what 12 games into both of their careers you know mm-hmm. it's 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 going to take a little bit of time yeah yeah i, I think the sample size yeah. argument is honestly the best one you know as to like not freak out about Hague or sandheim or really any of the rookies to be honest and it's a total it's totally fair and like when 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 the eye test so dramatically differs from the numbers, like if you're a stat person and you don't take a step back and question whether maybe the stats aren't picking something up, like you're not a good stat person. And like I've mm. been mostly impressed with Robert Haig, and then I look at his numbers after every game and they're generally bad. And you just, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, are my eyes missing something or are the stats missing something? And the larger the sample gets, we'll have a better understanding of, you know, which it is because I have generally speaking, liked what Hag has done. And with Sanheim, like I've, I've probably liked his game more than many people have, but he is making some glaring mistakes. I guess my thing has always been like, you clean up those glaring mistakes and there's a lot of good there. Whereas with Hag, like Hag needs, Mm. for me, Hag needs to be a bit more, aggressive in the decisions that he makes and so far he's been a little bit passive to my liking but i do agree that he has been good in the defensive zone from a covered standpoint my worry with robert haig and this is just a concern is that i'm afraid he's going to basically be like a faster nick schultz which is not what i was hoping for him to be and that because like nick schultz was always good in the defensive zone he just didn't create any offense and i'm worried that might be what haig ends up becoming I hope it's not. I mean, I've heard some people, like people who have been really high on Hague so far this year, have compared him to like a Nick Chalmerson, which would be like freaking awesome if that's what he becomes. But I need to see better underlying numbers to go that far. But as Steph said, it's early. To me, it's just interesting that the Flyers have done so well with Hague on the ice from a goal standpoint, yet and so poorly with Sanheim on the ice from a goal standpoint, despite the fact that their their play driving numbers tell the opposite story. And more than more than anything it's just it's fascinating it's a fascinating early season curiosity and that's why i kind of wanted to throw it out to you guys like do you think that this is just that the like corsi and expected goals are are missing something or is it just that like hey is getting lucky and sanheim isn't like i'm just curious as to what everybody's opinions are yeah no i i i really learned a lot today in a very short period of time because i really wanted to dig into the numbers and find out what it is that i am missing um and and i think that that might it, it, and it might be a little bit too stardust and uh shooting stars but it might be the the mystery defense factor where sandheim is the offensive defenseman where he is going to be creating a lot more events that are that are measurable and and robert Haig just isn't going to be that guy um I'm not upset with the way that Sanheim has looked. Yes, he's made mistakes, but that's the thing that we knew was going to happen. You listen to this show 
You know, you knew that it was going to happen because we warned you that it was going to happen. Rookies make mistakes. They don't all come out of the box looking like Ivan Provorov. They they ha- they make mistakes. It's a thing that happens. Um, and even just just his decision making, but like even Provorov made mistakes in the beginning of his season. He had that like awful game in Chicago, and people went crazy. He had that Chicago game, yeah. Yeah, but that's that's the thing with Provorov. We all point to that Chicago game, and that's there it. hasn't been one since. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been one since, and that was real. I think that was what the third game of the season last year. It was really early. There hasn't been one since. It he's he's a beast. He's Jesus, yeah. and that it, there, there's he's unbelievable. Normal rookies will not take that route. I don't think Ghost didn't even make that many mistakes. I, I don't think I'm trying to remember back. I, I don't think that he did. Think just, he was just so he just, he was just so offensively electric yeah. that we kind of yeah. we're, we're like whatever. He's a rookie and he's putting up these numbers. We'll deal with whatever. Uh, you know his deficiencies might be in his own end, and he was so aggressive. I felt like denying zone entries that he limited his defensive zone time by doing that. So maybe uh, we didn't see the deficiencies nearly mm. as much as we would then. You know the next season. Yeah, I would have to think that given that we're only 12 games into the season, we're looking at just a lot of bad luck on the part of Travis Sanheim. Like Charlie said earlier, it just so happens that his mistakes are ending up in the back of the net and Robert Haig's mistakes aren't. And a lot of that could have to do with the way that Sanheim's being used. Um, He might be being deployed in more high-pressure situations, which are leading to more dangerous shots going by him and getting into the net. Um, But yeah, I don't... I don't think it's even worth worrying about until we get further into the season. They're both going to make mistakes. They're both going to look good at times. They're totally different players. And it's going to shake out how it shakes out. And whether it be turnovers or uh, coverage lapses, we said this is the compromise we're willing to make. If this team, you know, isn't going to be a cup team, that's fine. But let's get these mistakes out of the way now with as many of these guys as possible. So in the next two to three years, when it looks like we'll still be getting something out of Drew and Voracek, thank God, um, (laughs) you know, they'll actually these these players will be worth something. These rookies will be entering a stage of their career where they're helping you win games games and your veterans are still useful absolutely and i i think that worst case scenario is that they're both struggling with the quick decision making and they're doubting themselves and it's it's turning out in opposite ways for them whereas sanheim will either turn the puck over and it ends poorly or Robert Haig will hold on to the puck for too long or make an emergency pass to ghost. I, I think that it, 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 with experience, this will go away. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that's the case. And you could easily be right that like one of the reasons why Haig's numbers aren't looking as good underlying wise is just that like he's playing a very safe game. And as he feels more comfortable in the NHL, he will start to take more chances because he's just more used to the speed of the game. And that's what I'm really, really hoping is what happens. Um, And as for Sanheim, it just kind of comes down to like the more time he spends in the defensive zone, the more he's going to get used to like where he should actually stand and what he should and shouldn't do. And hopefully then the the glaring errors that end up in the back of the net just happen less and less. And like the thing with guys like Sanheim and Ghost too is that they're always going to make mistakes in the defensive zone. That's just, you know, they're never going to be perfect. That's why they're not 
ever going to be the guy who you want as your number one defenseman in your team. Like, look at Kevin Shattenkirk. Kevin Shattenkirk, you know, aside from Sanheim being a better backward skater, like, he's always been a guy who I sort of looked at as, like, you know, Travis Sanheim's kind of ideal result. And Jeff, Kevin Shattenkirk made a lot of mistakes in the postseason with the Capitals last year. And Kevin, Shatt- Kevin Shattenkirk is like 28 years old. Like some, you know, some, these guys, they, this happens. And maybe for Sandheim, like not only is he growing into the, the NHL, it's also just that like, these are going to happen to him sometimes. And he's just getting a lot of them in the early season. Yeah. I would rather watch Travis Sandheim make 50 mistakes a night than watch Andrew McDonald flop around on the ice in front of his goaltender. I think Radko- my, my biggest concern, my biggest concern with the points that I was trying to make about Robert Haig was that it would invalidate all of the points that I made about Andrew McDonald <laughs> over the past five years. Because <laughs> like, but, but, but I think, I think that we've got a lot of history, both eye test and numbers wise that says Andrew McDonald just is not that good. And, and, even if, even if it was true that the numbers and the categories and everything that is measurable is geared towards puck possession and offense, and, and there, there is a little bit of trouble measuring defense, even if that was true, that doesn't mean that the lack thereof makes you a good defenseman. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think that's always been a thing with McDonald because like I've tried my best to dive into the defense question. And like one of the questions that I've one of the one of the ways I've tried to quantify that is basically looking at like, you know, what's the average expected goals of each shot that the team allows when a um, you know, when a defenseman is on the ice. So, you know, that would imply that like if the expected goal number is low per shot, that would imply that like, yeah, they're giving up lots of shots, but the shots they're giving up aren't of high quality. And to Manager McDonald's credit, like he's always graded out decently well in those numbers. The problem is, is that he just spends so much time in the defensive zone that even though the shots he allows are a little bit less dangerous, like when you're in the defensive zone, 30% more than like, you know, Shane Goss's bear. Yeah, Gossis Bear may may in the defensive zone allow more dangerous shots, but there's just so much so much less of them that Ghost still wins out on differential. And I mean, could Haig be the same thing? I don't know. I think we go back to the whole it's twelve games. Let's not jump to conclusions here. Yeah. But like, and again, this also goes back to the the point we've made about McDonald in the past. Like, if they were using Andrew McDonald as the fifth or sixth defenseman and just using him as like a defensive specialist who. His goal, his job is to like play 10 minutes a game and just be there in case like, you know, they have a defensive zone draw and he can be his reliable self. Like only people would be that they would still hate the contract, but they wouldn't be as infuriated as they are now. It's just that he's playing first pair minutes and that's why people get super frustrated. Like if Robert Haig ends up being just the, the fifth or sixth defenseman on the Flyers and he's like a super Nick Schultz, like that's not the worst thing in the world, especially if you have. Proveroff, Gossespierre, Sanheim, and Myers all turn out to be top four defensemen. That's if everything shakes out the way it shaked, it looks like it could with this, you know, defensive core. Uh, if he, if, if Haig is your fifth year sixth and his absolute floor is like a more athletic Andrew McDonald or like a, just a, a faster Nick Schultz type, that's not terrible. No. Like, okay, he was a second round pick and you're getting something out of him. Uh, he can kill penalties for you. He looks like he can throw the body around, play physically yeah. uh, much more than I thought he could. Uh, I like what I'm seeing in that uh, in that aspect. 
So if he really is that, it's it's fine. That's absolutely fine. And again, it's 12 games. Yeah, and that's the point that I think we need to keep coming yeah. back to. It's it's 12 games. That's And we've already, like, okay, it's 12 games and his absolute floor is Andrew McDonald. Let's see, <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, that's cool you know like i think that's everyone's absolute that's, floor that's, the, that's actually the floor you're sitting on right now <laughs> all right so i want to i want to move on now because we're we're getting into it a bit um this team is struggling in the first period they're being outscored 12 to 9 in first periods nine goals in 12 per first periods so far is bottom 10 and what's interesting about that is they're outscoring opponents 16 10 in the second and 15-12 in the third, both of their second and third period goal totals are top five in the NHL. Why does this team seem to, like, come out and have to get into games? Like they, this was they a don't... thing last year, too, right? Yeah. It's Blue been starts. a thing under Dave Hackstall and, mm -hmm. and Alex Appleyard, who works for Charlie over at The Athletic, actually put up a chart today um, that... Hold on, I'm I'm trying to find it now. Um, that the first period under Dave Haxtall for the, all of the years that he's been here, under 24% of all goals for come from the first period, which is an all-time low. Less since, than a quarter in a third in a three-period game. That seems since La, La, Lavi was <laughs> over 30%. Barubi was just over 27.5%, and Hackstall is 23.7% uh, goals for in the first period. So here's my question. If they're outscoring in the second and they're outscoring in the third and they ultimately win a lot of games, does it actually matter if they're not scoring in the first? I, early in the season, like, and again, we're still early in the season, but in the first couple of games, they weren't necessarily scoring in the first, but they weren't giving up goals either. Yeah. And now it seems like they're being thoroughly outscored in the first period to where you have a situation like you were in Monday night against Arizona. You have to dig yourself out of a 2 nothing hole. And that's hard to do. Yeah, you, you don't want to be chasing games. That That's what it comes down to. You don't want to spend the entire game chasing the other team because it takes you out of your game plan. It lets them play their ideal game plan because they know you have to, you know, take more risks to try to get the score back to where you want it to be. So, yeah, it's a problem. I always kind of wonder with these, like, split stats if, like, there's actually signal coming through the noise here, if this is just kind of random variance. Like, I don't know. You know, because goal differential is weird because, you know, are they getting outshot in first periods or are the goalies just letting them down? Like, are they getting out chance? What's actually driving the, you know, the lack of goal scoring? Like, I don't know. I'd have to look into it. But yeah, you know, obviously you want to see them play better in the first period. And obviously the Arizona game was pathetic how they came out in that game. Oh, my yeah, God. I think they only had like three shots through like 23 three minutes last Yeah, time. it was it was very painful to watch. And none and of them were by forwards. No, yeah, I don't think a forward had a shot until, like, the 25th minute of the game, and this is against the worst team in the league. Like, you gotta do a bit better than that, boys. Like, That's, just a little bit. A little bit. A little bit better would have gone a long way. I know I know. Steph loves when I do this, so I'm gonna do it right now. We've been hearing about the, uh, the desperate team, the Eagles running into a desperate team for weeks now, and they oh, just no. keep winning. And then the Flyers, it finally comes true, but with the Flyers last night, you know, Arizona... 
desperate team. They're winless. Of course, they come out in the first period. <laughs> friggin' some guy named Wedgwood dominates. Like, I, I can't even say dominates. They had three yeah, shots. Yeah, it wasn't really minutes. him. It was on the Flyers. No, yeah. So they'd been calling last night's game a trap game for a while. <laughs> Since the season started. Yeah. Well, we called it on Saturday that they yeah. were going to lose this game. Like, we knew that they were going to lose. So Arizona, I mean, in reality, they're not as bad as their record. They were in every game. Um, I'm high on Arizona for various reasons. Um, nothing to do with the numerous amount of former flyers that are on that team that all played last night. And we're all trying to mix it up with various members. And the only one that I didn't want to get punched in the face was Luke Shen. It's all the worst possible ex flyers. Like it's Nick cousins. It's Zach Ronaldo. It's Luke Shen. Luke Shen is fine. I liked Luke, but like, come on, we traded JVR for that dude. Like I really, yeah, but that's that not his guy. fault. Like Luke know, himself is fine. It's not his fault, but a lot of things aren't people's faults that I blame them for. <laughs> like, you know, getting back to JVR, I blamed him for something for about ten years that had nothing to do with him whatsoever, <laughs> and, and wasn't actually that's based in one reality. Of my favorite stories. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just something some dude told me once that I took as fact. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that they. I'm a journalist. Arizona was a desperate team and the Flyers have a lot of injuries. They they have a lot of early injuries to key players. Yeah, I'm I'm trying really hard not to get too worried about what we've been seeing out of this team for the last two or three games because this this isn't the team. Like this isn't the team. So That's they came out against Toronto and I thought played a great game. They looked pretty good, but then they lost Ghost. Yeah, that's, that's and bad. Ghost, like I said, like, we, we see a lot of things out of a lot of guys, and I was saying this when I said, have you seen anything encouraging out of players other than, uh, you know, Giroux, Voracek, Couturier, and Ghost? I feel like those are the four guys who win and lose you more games than anybody else. Like, you need those four guys to be at the top of their game. But, but, Ivan Kovrov's huge, like that, Wayne Simmons yeah. is huge, but I think it's those four. And when you lose one of those four, and it's a huge deal. And I think you saw a little bit of that uh, against Arizona without good. Well, you saw last year, you saw last year, what happens when, um, when really, you know, to be totally honest with you, all four of them weren't scoring. Yeah. Couture got scoring at the end of the year, but like you have the four guys who can change the game for the flyers and none of them are scoring goals. You get what you happened, what you saw last year, which is the team just not being any fun at all to watch because those are your game breakers. They can't break open a game and nobody else can break open a game because they don't have the talent to break open a game. So you end up just kind of watching 60 minutes of slog hockey. Yeah. And, and the only name that I would add to that list is Ivan Provorov. Like this, I, I need somebody, if you're praying type, like go and, and light candles or whatever for Ivan Provorov uh, to stay healthy this season. Because he's the Terminator. He can't be injured. <laughs> well, no, like literally he can't be injured because the team would fall apart. It's impossible. Machine never this breaks, dude, folks. I think his off-season training program includes like, yeah, hit me with a Mack truck. See what happens. <laughs> but despite all of this, the Flyers, uh, 3.42 goals a game, still eighth best in the NHL. They've been shut out twice. So on a night-to-night basis, they are scoring, even though there are a handful of games where you go, like, the offense was nowhere to be found tonight. Yeah, that's going to happen, you know, on a game-by-game basis. Like, 
even the yeah. best scoring teams have bad scoring nights. I think the biggest concern is that, you know, most of the scoring has come from that top line. And you'd like yeah. to see a little bit more balance when that top line inevitably goes through a slump because you know they're going to. I mean, you know, almost zero, almost no lines in the NHL just score at an elite level for 82 games. They, they go through periods where they're just not, you know, things aren't bouncing their way. And that's where you'd want to see, like, you know, hopefully when Nolan Patrick comes back, you see the Patrick line start to pick up some of the slack. You see the Philpola line with, like, a Wayne Simmons pick up the slack at 5 on 5. Yeah, that's just, and right now it's not really a problem because the top line is scoring so well, but you want, that secondary scoring to kick in once the top line inevitably starts to, to tail off a bit. And I want to, uh, I want to close tonight with the, talking about a trio of phantoms, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Oscar Lindblom, Mike Ve- Vecchioni and Danique Martel. Lindblom uh, started a little slow, no points in his first six games now has two goals, four assists in the phantoms last four games. Uh, Vex has 10 points, eight of them assists in 10 games. Please and don't call him Vex. Vex I, can't, I can't deal with that. <laughs> I really can't. And, I was uh, actually thinking that I liked it, which is terrible. Martel has 10 goals and 13 points in 10 games. Uh, he's shooting at a 27.8% clip. So something tells me that might come down. Uh, but uh, I want to know of the three, they're all off to really good starts. Who, uh, who do we see first? And do we all, do we see all three at some point this season? So the most hackstall choice would be Vecchioni, of course. Um, but I think it would be super fun to see Martel get a shot at some point. Same. Just because he's kind of come out of nowhere. Um, he wasn't a name that was like super high, I think on anybody's lists as far as prospects go. So to see him kind of, Killing it down there, it would be fun to see him get a shot. He's very small. He is a, a tiny, tiny little man. He's like my size. <laughs> well, that, that I, might I be going him, a little Maybe too he's Danny Briere size, which... I saw him at the, at the carnival last year. Granted, he was with uh, Sam Moran. The two of them were walking around together. <laughs> but oh, well, like, that's I swear to God, he's my size. Not even Briere size? No, like I swear to God, he's my size, and I'm five foot yeah. two. When we wow. talk about uh, the reason I bring this up is because I was reading, um, I was reading some stuff. One of them was Charlie's, and it was talking about uh, moving around. Maybe that third line. You know, they've tried Weiss, they've tried Latera, they've tried Reed. When when uh, when Nolan Patrick comes back, maybe it's time to give Michael Roffel a shot on that line. And then Mike Vecchioni, if you want to match speed and still have skill on that fourth line, I feel like Vecchioni's the guy there. I mean, it wouldn't be terrible if he got called up, but I mean, the big thing—it's not the most fun choice. Phantoms got to win have too. To be, I, I mean, know. there's already too many bodies, too many, too many random dudes just hanging out on on that team. Like send got, Dale Weiss down. Yeah, yeah, you've got Dale Weiss. You've got Yori Laterra. You've got. Matt Reed, who I don't think is just some random dude, but he is up after being sent down. So there's there's too many people that would have to get out of the way, I think, for any of these guys to see some time. Not that it won't happen. I mean, we've seen it happen on our defense. Hello, Will O'Neill, who I don't think if, if we took bets in the beginning of the season, I don't think one single person would have put money on Will O'Neill to be a call up. But here he is. So it, it's possible. I think 
just in the order of when they were sent down, Lindblom would be the first and, and most logical call up. But it could be could be any one of these guys. Yeah, I think Martel's probably the least likely just because I think it's very clear that they're concerned about whether his size will prevent him from being an NHL player. Uh, mm-hmm. Vecchioni's interesting because like, I know we've, you know, particularly Steph has been very, very skeptical of Mike Vecchioni, understandably so. Like, he's an older player who, uh, you know, college free agent, that kind of thing. But, like, he's now proving that, at the very least, his offensive game translates to the AHL. Like, there's not much more he can do than be a point-per-game player in the AHL. Like, that's good. And Yeah. You know, that's good. Yeah, it's, that's not bad. <laughs> so the question with Vecchioni, I think, more is, like, what's his ceiling? Like, do we think his ceiling is a fourth line, or do we think his ceiling is a middle sixer? And if, if they think his ceiling is a middle sixer, maybe he is a decent fit to get a call up. And then there's Limblom, who, like, I think we all think his ceiling is more, you know, ideally like a top six forward. So... I don't know. I think it could be either one of Limbaugh or Vecchioni if they think they need that that boost to because we, we talked about this actually on on Friday night about how the Flyers, when everybody's healthy at forward, it's like they have eight forwards who are legitimate top nine forwards. But obviously in a top nine, you need nine top nine forwards. So there's one spot available. And like you wait, think, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but like you would think <laughs> that um, that like one of Vecchioni or Limblom could potentially fill that that hole, especially with a guy like Dale Weiss clearly not doing so. And you know, Letter, I, I've liked his game more than I've liked Weiss's, but that's not saying a lot. And Reed, I mean, I like Matt Reed, but Weiss he's not has a been a healthy forward. scratch, right? Yeah, yeah. Although it looks like he's coming back Finally, in the lineup yes. for Chicago. It looks like Reed is coming out and Weiss is coming back in. Which I mean, whatever. Ah, uh, size. <laughs> Not have size. That's what it is, right? Like I can't imagine anything else other than size. Well, Steph, you were saying how complicated you know it is to measure D earlier in the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! How did that go by that entire I, time? I was no trying one... to. I was trying to like slip in a comment, but Steph was just like on such a roll. I was like, ah, oh, let her go because she's doing good. But I had was... so much. I still have a lot to say about was... what I learned today, and I, I cut it short. Hey, don't want to cut short the D. Never. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been holding all of this in for like half an hour. Oh, I'm so bless proud you. Of you. <laughs> Seriously, you're on a roll, Steph. Robert Hay, good at D. Thanks. <laughs> Great D. <laughs> Measurably good D. All right. So this is uh, this has been a Halloween edition of Broad Street Hockey Radio. I believe that is all the time we have for you, unless anyone else wants to jump. I in. I can't with... believe that it's been an hour. That, I, was, that was a really quick one. This was. Uh, I do. I got to say, I, I do miss doing the show in a studio with you guys, but I think we'll get that sorted out this week. Uh, it is better when we're all together, but I think. We have uh, we've done pretty well to piece it together this way. And uh, thanks to everyone listening. Thank you to everyone out there. We'll be with you after uh, what's the next game? I don't even know. Uh, tomorrow. tomorrow in Chicago. Yeah. Today's Wednesday. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow's Big rivalry Wednesday. night, baby. Yeah. Rivalry night game against the Chicago Blackhawks. Of course, the Flyers, I think, have one guy left <laughs> from the team that played them in the Stanley Cup final. So it's a real blood rivalry there. Uh, <laughs> and then and then they go play Braden Shen on Thursday. Oh, that'll be a big one. That'll the back to back with with two teams that are maybe good. Blackhawks oh. might not be good. 
That is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, Philadelphia. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>